I don't know about you, but I'm not content to suffer a wilderness existence when these promises are available to us. I want to live in the blessing and the provision of God instead of scraping by in the dry barrenness of what the enemy has been trying to convince us is our heritage. It is not. This is Live Empowered with author and speaker Kelly Lotta, a podcast to help you find authentic faith in Jesus. Here's Kelly. It's been a strange year, hasn't it? <laughs> um, coming out of a lot of hardship. I even heard some conversations here this morning as I was going through, you know, just we're in a place of transition and, and it's been hard. It's been hard. Um, a lot of uncertainty, disconnection, so much disconnect with not being able to gather and that separation, fear, and then hostility rising and all of that. And I just see the enemy's handprint all over that. Amen. That is not who God is. All of that came in opposition to who God is. God is love. God is unity. He is fellowship and connection. And so um, I'm, I'm just so excited that we're stepping out of this and we're getting ready to, to raise up and show the world who God is in the midst of this mess. Um, I can't help but be excited about the days we're in. Um, because bringing life to barren dead things happens to be God's specialty. And I just believe that we're in a season right now where God wants to reveal himself like never before. The backdrop of darkness is always the place of greatest glory where that can be seen. So God was even reminding me just this week um, in Isaiah 53:2, it describes Jesus emerging like a root out of dry ground, out of dry ground, a wilderness place a barren place, not well-watered, fertile soil. But Jesus himself entered in as a root coming up in dry ground. He enters into barren places to overturn the enemy's influence there. That's what barrenness comes from. That's what wilderness comes from. That's not who God is. God is life, prosperity, fruitfulness. That is his nature. That's what this earth was intended to be. So everywhere there is barrenness and death and fruitlessness, is where the enemy has been ruling and reigning. And Jesus came to step back in to what the enemy has made barren and overturn it, bringing life to those places. And I believe with everything in me that God wants to do that in our day. There's so much scripture in the word of God that talks about the wilderness and God's intentions there. Just gonna give you a couple of them. Psalm 68, seven says, Oh God, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked and the heavens poured down rain. God enters in and releases provision in his wake. Isaiah 32 describes deserts and forsaken places. And then we come to verse 15. Isaiah 32, 15 says, Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. A picture of growth, and not only growth, but increase. First it becomes fruitful, then that fruitfulness grows up into a forest. That's who God is. That's the prosperity of God entering in and overturning. Isaiah 41, 18 through 20, God says, I will open rivers on the bare heights, fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and dry land springs of water. And then he goes on to say in verse 20 that they may see and know and may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this, that the Holy One of Israel has created it. God wants the reality of his hand to be witnessed and seen and known on this earth. It is what he's all about. And he says, I wanna do that by entering into what is dead and barren and bringing life to it. 
I'll just give you one more. Isaiah 51, 3. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places. I just want someone to receive that word today. God comforts all our waste places. Not some of them. It's not partial. He enters in and brings his comfort to whatever the enemy has made dead and barren. And he says he makes her wilderness like Eden like Eden and her desert, like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of a song. I don't know about you, but I'm not content to suffer a wilderness existence when these promises are available to us. I want to know how to enter in. I want to live in the blessing and the provision of God instead of scraping by in the dry barrenness of what the enemy has been trying to convince us is our heritage. It is not. It is not. You and I have been lavishly blessed by God. That's our truth according to the word. We are blessed. We are lavished in grace according to Ephesians 1. But so many of us experience a disconnect between the promises that we read in the word and the reality of what we live. And that's our struggle, right? We hear about something, we read about it, and we're not living it. And that was me for a very long time, <laughs> looking at my life going, okay, it's supposed to be this, but my reality is this. And it brought me through a season of doubting, is Jesus even real? But it drove me to the word of God, and God showed me who he is and his faithfulness and showed me what I was missing. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is recently God has been highlighting the truth that our individual blessings are linked to his desire to blessing his people as a whole. We often look at it that, that we are separate. We want our individual blessing, but it is linked and attached to God's desires for all his people. And so if we are going to live in our individual blessing, we've got to understand that we need to start looking at others, looking at God and looking at others. And as we step into what God has for us, we begin to walk in our individual and personal blessing. Uh, Romans 12:5 says that we, though we're many individuals, are one body. We are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We are members of one another attached to one another, connected. We can't, it is a lie of the enemy that we would live separate and apart, that it would just be about our own thing. He is about community and fellowship. And so just as we're here celebrating 16 years, God has brought you all here together for a purpose. He has woven your lives together for a purpose. And as we begin to see that and understand it and walk in that, we begin to step into the personal blessing that God has for us as well. It's always, always linked. We are part of one another, connected in him to experience a shared blessing. Um, I can't help thinking of Caleb and Joshua. They were the only two. Scripture tells us 600,000 men left Egypt with Moses to enter into the promised land. Only two of them ever did. Caleb and Joshua, the only two that had the faith to enter. And so they did get to enter in, but they had to wait a whole other generation. They had to wait 40 years because as God has designed it, our personal blessing is linked to what happens to the whole. And so because only two could had the faith, the lack of faith in the rest held them back 40 years. God still was faithful. They still got it. But because the rest didn't come and join in on the same page, it was limited to what they experienced in that season. Does that make sense? God is after the whole. God is after the whole. And he wants to teach us how to live as kingdom family. 
family. That's really just a word he's been stirring up, particularly over this last year in the, in the COVID season, Sh- learning to share together in his provision and also taking ground together because that's what we are called to do in the body of Christ. But Jesus came revealing God as Father. It was a new thing, right? When he, when he started calling God Father, it rocked everybody. God, you don't call God Father, but Jesus did. And he taught us, this is what we are to call. He even said, this is how you are to pray. Father, Father, right? To teach us to live as a family, as kingdom sons and daughters. And that means drawing from the riches of our inheritance in him. And instead of living shackled by the limitations of the world. And that's where we struggle, right? We live in the world. We, We get caught up in the limitations of what we see and experience in the world. But Jesus is wanting to teach us to live beyond that. Um, 1 John 2.16 describes the world's kingdom. It says this, For all that is in the world, and he describes three things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is not from the Father, but it's from the world. This is the enemy's kingdom that he established here. The, thi- the world that Jesus came to redeem us from, Right? So God didn't create these things. The enemy did. They are restrictions imposed on us by the enemy, bondage that he limits us with. And so the way the world processes and interprets everything is by what we feel, by what we see, and by what our own effort and abilities can do for us. That's the the kingdom of the world. That's Satan's kingdom, what we see, what we feel, and what we can do for ourselves. But that way of looking at life isn't God's design. It's what we know, so it seems right. We get stuck by it all the time because we were born into this world. It's what we're used to. And Jesus is wanting to get us to think totally differently about life and step into something new with him where those things no longer limit us. It's not by what we see, feel, and what we can do, but we learn to live as a kingdom son or a daughter that is receiving divine provision higher than what we see, higher than what we feel, higher than what we can do on our own. He wants us to live not by what we feel, but by what he says, according to the word of God. Not by what we see, but what he's promised. And not by our own efforts, but by his divine provision. That's grace, right? That's grace. And so we keep trying to live the promises of God while remaining in the principles of the world. And it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's why we're so frustrated. We need to learn to access God's grace by trusting what he says. And so we're going to look at probably a very familiar story to you, with you this morning. Um, if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. And this is where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And so um, we're just going to go through this and just, I'm, I'm hoping, just get a fresh perspective on what God was doing in that time. Um, We're going to start reading in verse 13. Now we're picking up in the passage just after the death of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist has been a precursor to Jesus in ministry. Um, The very last verse above it in verse 12, John's disciples took the body of John, buried it, and come to tell Jesus about it. And so that's where we're picking up in verse 13. It says, now when Jesus heard this about John's death... He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And I just want to stop there for a second because it uses the term by himself, but the disciples are actually with Jesus. He's getting away from the crowds, but he's not alone. And we know that because Mark's version gives us a little bit more information. 
So prior to John's death, Jesus has just sent out the 12 in twos to heal and to teach. And so he has sent them out kind of on their first mission without them. John dies, and the disciples come back. Mark's version says the apostles returned to Jesus to tell them all that had been done and taught. And he said, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. So bringing the two together, we know Jesus and his disciples are together. They're not alone, and they're exhausted from serving. And Jesus is grieving. John the Baptist was his cousin. So this is family. This was the one that baptized Jesus. This is blood to him in his earthly family. And, and he says on hearing this news, he's withdrawing, just needing to draw on the Father to get some healing, and he's been serving and serving, getting away. But it tells us in the rest of verse 13, but when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot in the towns. So Jesus and his disciples are out in the boat. The crowds, who are just always wanting something from Jesus, right, see the boat on the lake, and they're, they're following along the edge of the water, and they actually get there ahead of Jesus. And verse 14 tells us, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He had compassion on them. Compassion moves Jesus to heal and serve the people. Even in a time of personal loss, God's heart gives. That's just who he is. And God's just really been stirring up this word in my heart about compassion. It is compassion. We read that over and over again in stories of Jesus' miracles. When he sees the widow who lost her son, moved by compassion, he helped. The parable of the Good Samaritan, moved in compassion, he goes and helps. This is God's heart. This is God's heart. And I think so often we can get excited about the idea of miracles, right? We all want to see a miracle. We get excited about the power, but we don't have the heart of compassion that releases it. There are many that are seeking signs and wonders for the glory of the signs and wonders, but that is a separation from God's heart, and the signs and wonders will not flow through that. They will flow through a heart that is connected to God that he sees, and out of compassion, he longs to give. He longs to give. Compassion compels him, not love of power. He's not there trying to draw attention to himself. In fact, so many times when he heals somebody, he says, don't tell anybody. It's not time to reveal me yet. Don't tell anybody. But compassion is moving him to do this, right? So this is what the compassion of Jesus does. He sees the need. He grieves the need. And then he becomes the means to meet the need, right? This is the heart of Jesus that releases the miracles of God on the earth. And the disciples are still learning who Jesus is, right? They're walking with him on this journey. They're supposed to carry on his legacy, but they still don't understand fully what they carry and what's available to them through their divine connection. So Jesus is wanting to teach them a little bit more. So verse 15 says, now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So it's getting late. There's nothing there for them. It describes it as a desolate place. Well, we just started this morning looking at how God likes to enter into wilderness, right? Enter into desolate places, places where there's no natural provision, but because God is there, 
provision becomes possible. And so he's wanting to show them and teach them this. And the disciples are aware of the need, but it hasn't occurred to them, hasn't occurred to them at all that, that they could or should even try to meet it right? They're more concerned about themselves. Let's face it, they're likely aware of the need because they're hungry, right? Okay, we're all getting hungry. It's time to send them away. Let's get rid of the crowd so we can eat, right? In our humanness, that's probably where we would be. And remember, the disciples are very aware of Jesus' power. They've just come back from healing, and casting out, casting out demons. They've already been operating in that power, but sometimes, and I think it happens with us, there's a disconnect between what we consider ministry, teaching and healing, and meeting practical needs, right? One we need Jesus for, the other we do ourselves. Happens so often in the church, and Jesus is wanting to show them, I want to be the source of everything. Not just ministry, but life needs, all of it. It, it, is, it is about me. And so the disciples, from their perspective, well, the people are just hungry. They don't need Jesus for that. They can go fend for themselves, every man for themselves, right? But that's not God's way. That's not Jesus' way. And he's wanting to show them that, teach them that. They're coming into a new lesson with him in this season. And so Jesus says to them in verse 16, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Mic drop, right? How are we supposed to respond to that? Jesus waits until they recognize that there is a need, and then he challenges them to become the answer to it, right? That's who Jesus is everywhere he goes. But can you imagine the scene? I mean, they're probably looking at one another. Is he nuts? Like, because they're still thinking in terms of the world's kingdom, right? Earthly provision, what they can do. They're thinking in that term. And so he sets them up in an impossible situation from an earthly perspective. Life on earth was never supposed to be about self-sufficiency. It is about kingdom family. Kingdom family. The kingdom has come. It is here. It is here. And if these disciples are going to fulfill their purpose, they need to learn to draw on divine supply for everything. Not bits and pieces of life, not ministry, but everything. And so Jesus asked them, you do it. And so they look around in verse 17. They said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. Like, how are we going to do this sheepishly? It's not even enough to feed the 12 of them. It's not enough food for themselves. And Jesus answers them by saying, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. And so Jesus is teaching them the answer to every problem is found in me. Everything comes to me. Everything. And I love that the disciples didn't need to come up with a strategy. You know, again, we think in our self-sufficiency, even in the ways we serve God, we got to come up with a plan, right? We got to do it. Jesus is saying, no, that's not your job. You don't have to come up with the provision. You don't have to come up with the plan. You just have to hear what I'm saying to you, be in relationship with me, and then be willing to take what you have and bring it to me. And then he's the one. He's the one that works the miracle. So God does not require us to produce anything. That's the lesson of John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. We're not supposed to produce anything. We are supposed to be planted in and let him produce in us and through us the work that he wants to do. So, verse 19, 
tells us that Jesus does three things. He tells them to bring them here. They do. Then he orders the crowd to sit down on the grass, and he takes the five loaves and the two fish, and he looks up to heaven, and he says a blessing over them. And then after he blesses it, he broke the loaves, and he gave it back to the disciples, not to the people directly, but to the disciples. So he does these three things. He blesses what he receives. He breaks it. And then he gives it back to the disciples to pass it out. That's God working the miracle. Jesus blesses, breaks, and distributes. That's how he does it. This is how God multiplies and how he brings increase. For anything to grow, it must be blessed by God, broken by God, distributed by God. It must be. It is the only way that it grows. But we need to understand that God will only bless what we give him, what we give him, what we give back. We, kind of, we think, okay, because I'm under the blessing of God, anything that I do is just going to be blessed. And he says, my blessing is available to you. You are my children and I long to bless it. But for it to be divinely anointed to multiply, it must be returned. It must be placed back into his hands. He only blesses what we offer him. Abraham and Isaac is a picture of this in Scripture, right? There was a promise on Abraham's life, and he says, I'm going to surely bless you, and in your offspring, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed, right? And so he gives them the offspring, and then God says, give them back to me. Give them back to me. And he does in faith, and when he does, the anointing of God falls, and the blessing is unleashed, that it doesn't end in the one that it continues and it goes on and it spreads out to the whole earth. That's God's way. He blesses what we return to him, what we offer him. And so I just wonder this morning, what do you need multiplied? Do you need time multiplied? Offer your time to him. Do you need your finances multiplied? Offer your finances to him. Place what you have in his hands so that the blessing can come on it. All provision comes from God. All of it does, but divine anointing only comes on what is returned. That is where the anointing falls, on what is returned to him, what is given back. That's where it multiplies. So when they gave what they had to Jesus, the loaves and the fish came under the blessing of God. He spoke a blessing over it. It came under it, anointed for divine potential. And then it's passed out, it's broken, and it's passed out. Life and increase flow from God himself. He only blesses what we give, and that is the principle of the tithe, the holy portion. He says, return to me, that a blessing may fall on all of it. This is the principle. It's it's the same principle throughout the word of God. Return it to me. Hold on to it, and it will never multiply. It It never blesses, but return it to God, and divine anointing comes. I want to share just a little bit of personal testimony with you. Um, my husband is a Ford dealer, sitting down here in the front row. We, have a, we own a dealership in Hanover, Pennsylvania. Um, his father actually had owned the dealership, and so then he um, went to business school, came up, took it over. His father's been retired for a while now. Um, but in 2008, the economy crashed, and we were struggling. Um, I don't know if you remember that season. Um, there was a time, actually, that the big three automakers, they were, uh, two of them were filing bankruptcy and getting money from the government. Ford was the only one that didn't in that time. But they were trying to stay open, and we were just feeling that personally. 
And we also had just come through a hard year dissolving a partnership, somebody that um, my husband had brought in to, to help buy out his dad and, and take ownership, um, someone professing the name of Jesus, but then becoming very deceptive and just ended up being a very hard, difficult thing that our family went through. And so we were just coming out of that and trying to buy him out and get that influence out of the business and the economy crashes. And we had been losing money just about every month for almost two years. And so like in 2008, the dealership lost $750,000 in losses. Now, that's not our personal income. That's the, oh, we don't make that kind of money, the dealership, right? So we had um, like more than 80 employees, right, that, that, that we're responsible for, the, their families and their livelihood and all these employees coming in. So we were making sure that all the employees were paid, that all the vendors were paid on time, and we had to keep shifting things around. And so in that, in that season, ended up with losses, $750,000. Everybody got paid, but we came to a place where my husband tells me in March of 2009, babe, we got 30 days. <laughs> I mean, the cash reserves have run out. We, we've been shifting and, and trying to, so I, you know, don't want to have to fire people, trying to keep things going, but don't know how we're going to make this. And he'd been um, talking to other dealers, like, what are you doing? What's working? What's not really doing everything that he could to turn this around? And we just were at this place of, we got 30 days, and if, if something does not turn around in 30 days, we lose the business, we lose our home, we don't know where we stand, right? So in that season, that was the first time in my life that I personally experienced that peace that surpasses understanding. Because simultaneously in that season, I had been falling in love with Jesus. <laughs> I had been falling in love with Jesus, and I had he was teaching me what it really means to live by faith to know him and love him i'd been teaching the word of god in in my church and sunday school it's actually before i stepped out in ministry but just growing in the lord and i just knew that i was loved by god that we were loved by god and that if god was saying what we thought was supposed to be our heritage having this this business this family business that was passed down if god was saying this is not for you and i'm taking it there was something else he had, and I just believed it with everything in me that, that it was, he was going to provide because he's good and he loves. It's who he is, right? And so I had been praying for my husband, encouraging him with the truth that had come alive in my own heart. And as I said, Steve was doing everything he could. Um, and one morning, it was um, in early March, he woke up early was wrestling in prayer with God. He woke up before his alarm went off, so he said he just turned off, turned off the alarm and was laying there in bed just, just praying. And they had just finished closing out the books for February and had lost $150,000 just that month. Just that month. And so this is where we are in this, in this pivotal place. And so he's just crying out to God there in the bed that morning. God, I don't, I don't see it. I don't understand but I believe. But I believe. I believe that you are for me. I believe that you are for us. And I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm choosing to trust you and I'm giving it to you. And it was like this act of surrender of just giving it over. He'd been trying to do it 
from his own work and effort, right? Doing all he could to do it. His wife's in ministry. He's the car dealer, right? He's supposed to be doing the work. He surrenders the business to God that morning. He gets up, gets in the car on his way to work, turns on the radio, and the Jeremy Camp song, he had heard it for the first time that morning, I Still Believe, I don't know if you remember that song, is playing, and it was sort of just reiterating the same cry. He cried to the Lord that, that morning, and just felt the Holy Spirit, this moment with God. Something shifted that morning. So within the next couple of weeks, things began to turn around, and we just about broke even that month. Remember, we've been losing money for two straight years. So we just about broke even. That's a $150,000 swing from the loss of the month before, right? So we're celebrating, praising God for breaking even. And this attitude of stewardship was born in my husband's heart. Such a beautiful thing to see as I'd been, been praying. And he now, even still, his business card doesn't say uh, president and owner at Jean Lana Ford. It says steward, steward as he gave it back, as he gave it back. And through that hardship, God was teaching my husband to trust him, not his own work or efforts, but divine provision. And we don't naturally turn to God if we don't have to, right? Because we're so used to the world's way, which is about what I see, what I feel, and what I can do, right? And Jesus has to teach us how to come out of that and come into that divine provision. So, my husband just surrendered it. The business was never mine. It's yours, and I'm giving it back. And it began to grow each month, a little bit, grow. And so we were not having the losses, not super gains, but hey, we were moving in the right direction, and we were excited. And then um, it got to a place where my husband just felt like I need to start um, tithing. Actually, we were always tithing personally, but tithing from the profits of the business like that this would be the first fruits to God. And again, we hadn't been making profits, so to even say I'm going to tithe from the profits of a business is, a step, is an act of faith, right? And so it started being profitable. I remember him telling me, his uh, finance advisor, when he was telling her <laughs> what we were going to be doing and that we were going to be, are you kidding me? Like, really? That's what you're going to do? But we did, and we just started tithing. We'd always given out of a, when, there was, when there had been abundance, but to just make this commitment that this is yours, God, and, and we want it to be used for your purposes. And so even this earthly business, we want it to be in your name and for your kingdom. And so that business has allowed us to invest in people and in kingdom work in ways that I never would have imagined. Since that time, my husband told me there's only been three months in the last 10 years that were not profitable. Three months. One was a year after he had made that commitment to tithe and we were being profitable, he, uh, he said his business plan that year coming into the next year was, we're not going to lose one single month. We're not going to lose any money this year, you know, switching back to human effort. And he lost, what, 35000 or something <laughs> that month and realized, oh gosh, I took it back. Here you go. Not my plan, it's yours. Another one was just last year when, when in March when they shut us down and we weren't allowed to sell cars through the COVID season. So there's only been three months. God has been so faithful. And the profits from that business enabled me to step into ministry and to launch Kelly Latta Ministries and our Love Lives Outreach. And so we went in a shift from almost losing our home 
So now we have the privilege and the blessing of helping homeless people enter into new homes. And we provide furniture, household items, anything that people would need. Women from domestic violence, broken families, single moms and dads and their kids moving from shelters and into homes. And we come move them in. God is so good. We help them pay rent in emergency situations. We help facilitate car repairs so that they can have safe vehicles. And what God has given us and entrusted to us has become a source of kingdom service. We also have a ministry space for teaching and discipling people into the love of God and have launched healing communities that we're seeing miraculous things happening. God is just so good. And so instead of diminishing... When we, when we let go of it and we gave it to God, instead of diminishing, it brought increase far beyond what we ever would have expected. And the anointing came on what was returned, on what was given back to God. We were always children blessed by God, following him, serving him. But we were not living in the anointing of the blessing that he wanted to pour out. We were not drawing from the bounty of his grace, as we are now learning to do and continuing to learn to live in that increase. When what was held was returned, it multiplied. Jesus said in Matthew 6:33, Seek first my kingdom. My kingdom. Then all these things will be added to you. What is he saying? So into my kingdom. And then I will see that all your needs are met. It's not just about you, right? God's blessing to the one links to his desire to bless all, to bless all. If we are not interested in blessing others, if we're in this just for a personal blessing and I want my individual outpouring, we're not going to get it. (laughs) We're going to remain lavished in grace but living in lack. We will remain lavished in grace but living in lack. Because we are not giving to God. God says, give what you hold to me for my purposes, and you watch it multiply. You watch it grow. And that is what Jesus demonstrates here with his disciples. He pulls them into his purpose, and he accomplishes it through them. He does it through them. God does the blessing, breaking, and distributing. He performs the power. He's the one that does the miracle. But he distributes the anointed portion then back, not to the people, but to his own. And then he entrusts his own with giving it away to the others, right? He provides for the needs of the others through his own. This is that picture of God pouring out to the multitudes through his own people. That's that blessing on Abraham that we just talked about. I will surely bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing that everyone else gets blessed through. But if we hold on to what he gives us, it never multiplies and goes forth to bless anybody else. It just gets used and diminishes. It's returning it. Um, The blessing of one multiplies and extends. A lot of time through this COVID season, I heard 2 Chronicles 7.14 preached or talked about, which says, if my people who are called by my name, this is the church, if just they, not anybody else, but if just they, the church, will pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear and forgive and heal the land. What the body does pours out onto the whole rest of the world and the community. It is supposed to pour out onto the whole land. And if we want to see the world change, then we've got to understand that we need to be a part of it, that we are participants and facilitators in making that change. It is God's power, but he releases it through us. 
Divine power is always stoked and ignited through personal encounters with Jesus. Every single one of us need to be meeting with our Savior and discerning what is he asking of me. And remember, the miracle occurs as the disciples give what they personally receive. They go and they give it away. So their hands get emptied for a moment. But as it empties, they return back to Jesus and more comes and they give it. It multiplies as it is distributed. It multiplies as it is given away. That's where the multiplication happens. It doesn't multiply in the storehouse. It multiplies in use as it is used. And that's what Jesus said in Luke 6:38. Give and it will be given to you. That's his way. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So not even the same measure that you give with comes back. When you give, what you receive is more and runs over beyond what you gave. That's exactly what the disciples experienced that day. That's what they experienced through the miracles is they gave their little portion and they went and gave it away and it came back. And what happened at the end of it? It says they all ate and were satisfied. All of them. The disciples began without enough to feed the 12 of them. And in this passage says, they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. That's the blessed portion, right? As they gave, it multiplied and came back. We need to understand that giving to the people didn't mean that God's own would have to sacrifice their portion. That is one of the lies of the enemy. Giving to others does not mean that we have to sacrifice our portion. As we give, as we carry the heart of God and become an extension of his heart to bless those around us, he makes sure that we have enough for ourselves and not even just enough. He says, good job, baby. Let me give you a whole basket. And then what I give you is going to carry you through not just today, but tomorrow and perhaps the next day that you will have what you need to go forward. If you just have this heart to trust, learn how to be a kingdom son or daughter and receive and hold it with open hands that as we give, we can pass it out. And there it goes. And it multiplies. Giving others what I receive from Jesus increases my own portion. It's, it's who he is. And again, God, this, this isn't a lesson here on give to get. This is a lesson here on entering into the heart of God, the compassion of God, where we start to look at people with his heart where we start to care that that person across the street is hurting and doesn't have enough, and we go bring them a meal. It is learning to see people with his compassion and recognizing, I may not know how it's going to happen, but I have a God that brings anything. He brings provision into wilderness places, and if I will just trust him to give what I hold, I can, there will be enough for me. It's the same principle with that, the widow with, um, I always forget if it's Elisha or Elijah, with, with the widow and the oil, and she only had enough, and, and, and she was charged, give to this man of God, and you will have enough. Give your portion, and it multiplies, and she had enough to sustain. It's all throughout the word of God, and this is what it means to belong to the royal priesthood, interceding through Jesus between heaven and earth. We get to be that doorway of provision that heaven moves through. That's God's plan. We, we, I hear people blaming God for, for what has happened in this last season, this lack, this disease. That's the enemy. Do you know God's plan to oppose the enemy 
It's us. It's us. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are the means to conquer what the enemy is doing. But we will not defeat the enemy if we are operating with the enemy's heart. If we are operating in the hostility and the fear and the isolation and the anger and everything that he is, we defeat the enemy by stepping into who Jesus is and allowing the miracle of the life of God to flow out and defeat that enemy in our midst. That's what Jesus wants from us. That's what he's after. I just want to encourage you. Um, as a congregation this morning, I said it before, God has brought you here together for a purpose. He has knit this body together, and there is something for you to do. Um, for years, just God's been stirring up my heart about the Acts 2 church, where they shared what they had in common. They gave to one another, and nobody had need. Nobody had need. That's my dream. That's my dream. That's what we are even doing um, with the ministry, just wanting to be a place and to steward, to hold, and pass from here to here, you know, that, that nobody goes without. It should not be that we are living, these people over here have so much and these people have nothing, especially in the house of God. That's what God says, particularly among the brethren and among the body. And so I just want to encourage you, what God has for you as a whole is going to take you personally beyond anything that you could imagine. That's what his word says. You don't have to take my word for it. It's what he tells us. And so I just want to encourage you to truly see one another, to see one another. And as you see one another and give to one another, we talk so much at the ministry about reciprocal blessing. That's God's design. We are never meant to just pour out to be emptied. We are meant to pour out and receive. And so if we are not knit in the body in relationships where we are not only giving but receiving, something's wrong. And we are disconnected from divine supply. And we need to get plugged in. So as we close, I just, I just want to pray a, a blessing over you as a congregation. Father God, Lord, I just thank you so much for these people. God, I thank you that your spirit is here. I thank you for the love that you have for them. God, um, Lord, I know your heart grieves over woundedness that is here. There has been doubt in some, wondering at your goodness, wondering why things haven't changed. God, I pray that you would just penetrate through that doubt this morning, God. Lord, would you just reveal yourself? Let them see you. God, would you just even just pour out an outpouring of your love that every individual... <laughs> every individual seated here would feel the love of God. Lord, as we talked about the outpouring of Pentecost, God, we're not wanting just signs and, and power, God. We want you. We want you. And who you are is love. Who you are is kind. Who you are is giving and gentle and beautiful, God. And that's what we need in this world. That's what we desire. It's what we ask for, God. And so I pray anyone here, God, that doesn't know that that is who you are, God, would you just show up right now? Would you just show them? Would you just show them? Would you just let your warmth drape around them and fill them from the inside out, God? Would you just let your promise come alive in their heart that you will provide, that you will not forsake? You never do. You never do. It is we who walk away. You never do. And you push through even our judgment of you, even your, our anger at you. God, you keep pursuing and you keep coming in spite of us. We don't deserve it, but you do, God. 
you do, and we just thank you. We thank you. God, and we just ask you to have your way among us. Have your way among this people, God. Lord, I just pray that you would just be revealing in every heart, God, what it is that they hold that you're asking them to offer you, that you might multiply it, that you might bless it, that you may bring life to what has been dead and barren, and that this community may become a light in the midst of a dark place and release healing in this land. Thank you, Father. We bless you. We honor you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to author and speaker Kelly Lana on the Live Empowered podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this program and that it's encouraged and motivated you in your faith. We'd love to hear from you at kellylottaministries.org. Also, when you visit, you'll find a number of free resources to help you experience the lavish love, joy, and hope that God intended for us so we can overflow that into others' lives to reveal Christ, live truth, and love people. 